morning. It's good to see everybody that's here this
you uh, to be to welcome those who are online. Uh, if you're there on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, be sure to heart to like to share, uh, retweet there. Uh, that just helps to get the word out even more. Go to our church website. You can download the church bulletin there that has all the upcoming events. Uh, be sure to get one of these if you've not this morning in person. Uh, there are a lot of upcoming things all this week as well as the next uh, with Easter coming up. Uh, thank you to those who helped us yesterday with our Easter egg hunt and what a blessing uh, that was too to reach out to those families and those children. Uh, we have children's worship bulletins that go along with uh, today's message. They're in the windowsill to my right, so if you need some of those, be sure to get those. There's one for ages three and up, one for ages seven and up, and then also don't forget our prayer list. You can download that also under the info tab at our church website there. Uh, be sure to get that downloaded. I just want to say again, welcome uh, to those who are here and looking forward to the worship service this morning. We will be having a special call business meeting at the end, uh, so we'll give you an opportunity there if you don't want to stick around for that as one of our guests uh, to let you be dismissed uh, also. Uh, but as a member, we'll make sure you get those ballots uh, for that uh, at, before uh, that time. So, Brother Mike, if you'll come. <laughs> Let's continue worship in song as we sing 138. Stand and join the choir and at
Amen. As we come to our missionary moment time, you'll find uh, one of our missionaries listed in your bulletins, Rusty Ford, who is uh, reaching out to the European peoples in Seville, Spain. Uh, so I encourage you to read that, but we also are still emphasizing our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And so continue to be praying through that guide and continue to also be praying about what God would have you to give towards the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. We want to share another video from one of our North American missionaries. So prayerfully watch and listen to this video. When people say keep Portland weird, you can think oh, people there want nothing to do with God, nothing to do with the gospel, but there are so few evangelicals in the city that uh, that curiosity is like you're this exotic creature. Most people have never met a pastor before. And so you're definitely the minority if you are a Christian. Gresham Bible Church was the first church I planted. We developed lots of deep, meaningful friendships with people in that community, and our kids did as well. But three years ago, the Lord made it clear to us that there were other communities in Portland that needed a new healthy church. This particular area of Northeast Portland is what you might call a church desert. And we were excited to follow the, the call of God, but worried about how our kids would take the news. Yeah, I was not thrilled that we were moving. Like one of the big things that we had been praying for when we moved here was that I could find some friends in this neighborhood and I found a lot, so that's really nice. We put ourselves out there in all kinds of ways with neighbors and with people who heard about this new church getting started and it is all hands on deck for the Brown family in this church plant. It's been a while since I went to church and just sat and listened instead of doing stuff during it, but it's nice to be able to help. We've got to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ grow. We've seen leaders raised up and missionaries sent out from our church because the need for gospel access in this city is really great. We started this church believing the Lord would provide and they've got to see, wow, God gave us a building and God brought people and, sorry, it's gonna make me cry. They get a front row seat, you know, to see the Lord provide and it's been really awesome really awesome. And you get a front row seat in helping to support uh, those missionaries. So be in prayer about giving. So let's go to the Lord and pray for our missionaries in Portland as well as our missionaries in Seville, Spain. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the blessing and the opportunity that you have given us. Lord, you have blessed us in so many ways, and we just want to thank you, Lord, for all of those blessings. We pray that we would not take those things for granted, Lord, that we would uh, continue, Lord, to see the, the importance of us joining together with other like-minded churches across our nation as Southern Baptists uh, to support our missionaries on the field each and every Sunday through our cooperative program, but having those special offerings that go directly to the those specific emphasis, whether it's our North American missions or our international missions at Christmas. And so, Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts as we continue to pray for our North American missionaries, uh, as we've even heard in the testimony this morning from Portland, Oregon. Uh, what a blessing it is, Lord, that you are still starting churches in places that are dark and hard to reach. And, Father, I thank you for your blessings upon our missionaries there. Continue to watch over them, protect them, and provide for them. So stir our hearts 
hearts to give, stir our hearts, Lord, to pray and to go and to serve in ways that we can. So, Lord, we ask your blessings this morning on all of our missionaries uh, in Seville, Spain, as well as in Portland, Oregon, and all around the world. And we just ask, Lord, that you'll continue to bless us that we might be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me just remind you, too, in that, that you can do your offering uh, online. You can do it there going to the far right-hand side, clicking the Give Online tab. Real easy platform, real easy thing to set up and do. You can do that with the envelopes. This is for your uh, regular offering here. Uh, this is for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, so I encourage you to do that. If you only have this, you can just write on it what portion is designated there. Uh, so just wanted to make sure you knew of that. We also now have posters. Our registration is up live on our Facebook page and on our website uh, for Vacation Bible School. So we want to encourage you uh, to go ahead and pre-register. We had a lot of people who did that yesterday. Thank you so much for doing that. That'll make things so much easier once we get to uh, Bible School. Uh, you'll hear more about Bible School in the days ahead, but just wanted to share this with you uh, with the QR code that's there. You can find it on our Facebook page as well as a link. And then we also uh, had some... Uh, of our bags that were left over from yesterday for our kids. Uh, if you want to use these to uh, give to kids or families in your neighborhood, we encourage you to do that. It's got some uh, stuff about our church, some little gifts for kids uh, in it. Also, there's some on the sides of the stage in the boxes here. There's some on the table as you leave out that way and some on the table as you leave out this way. We kind of tried to spread those around. But be sure to grab one of those just to encourage people, use it to invite people, especially for Easter service uh, this coming Sunday. And if you're one of our first-time guests, here this morning. Uh, we want to encourage you to get one of our gift bags. They're on the sides of our stage as well as on those same tables. Uh, it's just our way to give you a gift to say thank you for being here uh, and also encourage you uh, to, to notice the information about our church. There's some other gifts that are in there, some books, uh, some things for kids also, uh, and be sure to pick up uh, one of those. But we just wanted to say thank you for being here with us this morning. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Take your hymnals now and let's sing hymn 139, At the Cross.
reminder for those with little children, uh, the Children's Church will be gathering over on the piano side over here as we prep for this next song. So join with us by standing and sing 141, The Old Rugged Cross.
Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Uh, as we're going through the life of Jesus, I decided to go ahead and skip ahead uh, for just a, a couple of Sundays here, this Sunday and next Sunday, uh, with this being Palm Sunday and next Sunday being Easter Sunday, to move ahead. We're pretty close to there anyway uh, in the life of Jesus to a couple of events uh, that happen in his life and his ministry uh, leading up to what we celebrate as Resurrection Sunday. And so Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through verse 46, I've entitled this message this morning, A Defining Moment, because it was a defining moment in the life of Jesus and shows us that there are defining moments in our lives that we need to be sure we are following what God wants rather than our own desires. So if you would, let's stand and read God's Word in honor of His Word, Matthew 26, verse 36, down through verse 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and He said to His disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer this morning, I pray, God, that you will use this passage, use your word that would go forth to stir our hearts this morning. That if there are those who are here or watching online who do not know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, may they realize that that will be the most defining moment of their life is to trust in what Jesus did for them on the cross and his resurrection from the grave to give them eternal life. But Father, I pray too that those who are here this morning or watching online as believers, Lord, may we be stirred in our hearts also to realize that there are not only the defining moment of salvation in our life, there are many defining moments throughout our lives that we need to make sure that we are always seeking to follow you rather than what we want, what we desire, what our preferences are. And so, Father, I pray for your will to be done this morning. I pray for you to be glorified and you to be honored in this passage and in this message. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. <clears throat> As I've already said, there are moments in life <clears throat> that will define you. There have been many moments in our world history uh, that have been defining moments, like the tearing down of the Berlin Wall, 
uh, or the Reformation or the Gutenberg printing press or World War I and II, and even though those are some things also that affected our American history, uh, there are some defining moments in our American history, 9-11. Uh, is one of those moments. Uh, the Great Depression, as well as those world wars that we had, uh, the Civil War, uh, the Revolutionary War, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, all of those events forever changed the course of American history. In our lives personally, there are also some uh, great life examples of defining moments like uh, choosing a college to go to, like getting married, uh, or the birth of your children, or starting a business, or finding out you have some terminal uh, disease with some diagnosis like cancer. A and there are so many other things. There are also spiritually defining moments too. Uh, most importantly, as I said in my prayer there, uh, deciding to follow Jesus with all of your heart. That's a huge defining moment for all of us. The day you make a choice in your life spiritually to forgive others and to allow that bitterness and hurt and anger to go, that's a defining moment uh, in your life too, even as a believer. And, and so notice that not every defining moment is a choice. Some are intentionally thought out. Some are the results of past decisions. And some just happen to us. So let me say a couple of things about these kind of defining moments, these key moments in, in our lives. They are life-changing. And, and so your choices can have huge impacts, not only to you, but to the generations to come, to your children and to your children's children, and sometimes to, to people who aren't even a part uh, of your family. And, and, and those choices can feel scary. They can take you outside your comfort zone and, and stretch you. It can feel risky and you can feel stress because you might lose something. Uh, it can feel like a struggle because God may be leading you to do something you don't want to do. Uh, those are God moments. These are moments uh, are, that are an invitation from God for you to experience Him in a special way. Those moments we're living in and the moment we're living in today uh, and, and how we respond to it can be a defining moment even in the history of the church, in our families, and in our lives, and in our nation, in the direction of our nation and what we do. So choices that are being made in our legislature can affect us for generations to come. And so in this passage, here is Jesus who is facing one of the most defining moments in his earthly life that would have eternal consequences. So get the picture here of when this is. We are on Thursday night, uh, close to midnight. It's been a week full of last things. Some of these things we'll jump back to uh, after we're past Easter and come back to uh, in a little bit. But it's been a week in his life there, that last week of his life, of last things. His last visit to the temple, his last sermon, uh, the last supper. Uh, and now with three of his inner circle, the last prayer that he'll pray before going to the cross, and he will pray a prayer there from the cross also. But for Jesus, this defining moment takes place in a garden. It takes place not behind a desk, uh, but behind a tree. Not sitting in some comfortable chair, but kneeling on a cold, hard ground. 
and laying prostrate probably even, as the Bible seems to indicate here. And so when Jesus entered this garden, remember, he already knows. It's not something that's going to catch him by surprise that he's going to be arrested tonight, that he's going to be crucified the next day. He already knows when he enters into this garden that he's going to be arrested there. He knew it was the beginning of the end. And so when John described the arrival of the soldiers to arrest Jesus, here's what he says in John chapter 18 and verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? He already knew what was going to happen. He knew that this was a defining moment. He knew that this is what his entire life had come down to. So, so listen carefully, and I want to encourage you to look closely today at the Scripture here, because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or you ever decide to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to have to go to your own Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, that explains why Jesus invites these three disciples to go with him. Now, Gethsemane was a familiar place to the disciples. They had been there several times before. And even Judas knew where Jesus would be that night. If you go over to John's Gospel in John chapter 18, verse 2, it tells us that Jesus often met with his disciples there. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So this isn't the first time Jesus has been to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. He often met there with his disciples. And so now he's invited this inner group, this inner circle of three disciples, Peter, James, and John, to accompany him. And he does it for a reason, because he wants them and us to learn how to handle defining moments. Now, defining moments occur when you're faced with a situation that you have to make a moral choice and you have to decide if you're going to do what God wants you to do or what you want to do. Now, I don't know what your specific defining moment might be, but whatever it is and whatever it may be, as it may come around the corner, you may be in it already, it, it, is, it will be a life-altering defining moment for you. And so what we're going to learn in the Garden of Gethsemane today is this key takeaway that I want you to get. If you don't get anything else, get this. That the benefits of doing the will of God are always greater than the cost. Do you get that? The benefits of doing the will of God are always greater than the cost. So let's look at Jesus and, and see what we learn here in defining moments and what it takes to face defining moments the way God wants us to. Defining moments involve seeking the will of God. In the few times that we see Jesus praying in the Gospels, there's only one time that we ever see him praying uh, the same thing more than once, and we find it here in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus spoke to the disciples and he taught them about prayer, he told them and talked to them about not wearing God out with a, with a bunch of vain repetitions. Don't go, over, don't go to God and say the same thing over and over and over and over. You say it to him, you know what you're saying to him. He hears it. He's not deaf. He's not dumb. He knows what you want. You don't have to wear him out. He's got it. He hears it. But here, uh, 
it seems that Jesus maybe breaks his own rules because three times he prays the same thing. You see it in verse 39 uh, where he says, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Verse 42, my father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. And then again in verse 44, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. So three times he goes to God the Father and says the same thing. In the most anguished, difficult prayer that Jesus ever prayed, one thing was on his mind and one thing was on his heart, and that was the will of God. Of God apart from the will of God there would have been no Garden of Gethsemane you get that because apart from the garden there is no cross apart from the garden there is no resurrection the one thing that had brought Jesus to this grove that was full of, of olive trees on this darkest night of all nights in the history of mankind was the will of God doing the father's will had been the supreme concern of Jesus all of his life uh, when he was 12 years old uh, he had said this to his parents in Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49 why were you looking for me did you not know that I must be in my father's house doing my father's business, doing my father's will? Very early in his ministry, he said in John chapter 4 and verse 34, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He says later on in John chapter 6 verse 38, he says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So over and over, that was Jesus' heart. That was Jesus' desire, was to do what the Father wanted him to do. The will of God wasn't something that, the, that God the Father forced on God the Son. It was something that God the Son always was seeking from God the Father. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 5 and verse 30, he says, I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but really the Bible is the story of two gardens, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. What one man did in one garden ruined us all forever. What another man did in another garden rescued us forever. In the first garden, the man named Adam decided to seek his own will. Rather than doing what he knew God wanted him to do, he did what he wanted to do. And because of that, we now have four major problems in the world today, sin and sickness and sorrow and death. And the ultimate reason why there's so much sin in this world is because one man looked at God and said, not your will, but mine be done. That was Adam. When Jesus came to the garden, he says, not my will, but your will be done. And so just like Jesus, we are put here on this earth to seek the will of God. Every day our lives as Christians is all about seeking and finding and doing the will of God. But that's where the problems begin. I want you to see point number two. 
defining moments include struggling with the will of God. Defining moments include struggling with the will of God. If you'd been at the garden that night with Jesus and his disciples, you could have easily picked Jesus out from the other three disciples who were closer there with him. Uh, he would have been on the ground. He would have been the one in the garment that literally is soaked with sweat. He would have been the one agonizing, crying out to God. He would have been the one whose, whose hair had been stuck to his forehead, wet, and uh, not just with drops of sweat, but with drops of blood. As Jesus walked from the upper room to the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he looked back over his shoulder to see the lights of Jerusalem twinkling in the dark, and he could see what the disciples couldn't see. He knew just outside the city that the greatest battle in human history, in the history of this world, would be fought and would be won and the war would be over. He also knew, though, that he was facing something no one else could face, that no one ever else has faced and that no, no one ever will face. And that's taking all of the sins of the world upon himself. And so he knows that everything is literally about to break loose. He knows what he's supposed to do. But he also knows what he doesn't want to do. And those two are exactly the same. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been there? We all have. Uh, this is a struggle here uh, of cosmic proportions. T talk about being all stressed out. Uh, we haven't seen stress until you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he wasn't just all stressed out. He was eternally stressed out. And did you know that that stress was so great that, that he almost died there in the garden before he ever got to the cross. Matthew puts it this way in verse 38. Verse 38, it, he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Even to death. Understand this, there is no greater agony, no greater grief, no greater suffering than that which takes you basically to the brink of of death that stress was so great and the struggle was so real that a doctor named Luke recorded it this way dr. Luke said in Luke's gospel Luke chapter 22 and verse 44 and being in agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground Doctors describe that condition as uh, hematidrosis. Uh, it's very rare, but it is very serious. And what happens is, as that emotional distress becomes so great that the capillaries beneath the skin literally begin to blust, bust, and, and you can actually start spilling blood from your sweat glands. His heart rate would have been off the charts. His blood pressure would have been out of the roof. Why was he feeling such agony? Let me assure you this. It wasn't because he was scared or afraid of dying. There were a lot of people, a lot of men that day, others who had been crucified, but a lot of men that day that went to the cross and Jesus never flinched. 
Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. It wasn't death that concerned Jesus because that's what he had come to do. What concerned him wasn't death but a cup. Notice verse 39 again. It says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What was this cup that Jesus didn't want to drink from? Well, that cup represents the wrath of God that he would pour out on his son as punishment for the sins of the world. Our sins owe a debt. In fact, we read that in the scriptures. The wages of sin is death. Somebody has to pay the penalty. Either you do if you don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or Jesus took that upon himself here in the garden through to the cross and, and even through to his resurrection. And, and so it wasn't physical death that, that worried Jesus or bothered Jesus here. It, it was the, uh, the punishment that he would take upon him for the sins of the world. All Jesus had ever known for all eternity was a perfect, complete, total, whole, intimate fellowship with the Heavenly Father. But now what he's about to face, what he's facing, not the love of God, but rather the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the punishment of sins, he didn't even commit. So here's the point. Even though it's always best to do the will of God, it's not always easy to do the will of God. All too often when we face the, the defining moments of life, what we see so often is the barrier. What we see is the circumstances. What we see is the storm. And we believe all of that is greater than our God. When we see the obstacles, we tend to sometimes start whining and complaining and gossiping and criticizing. We, we start believing that where we are now is the worst possible place to be. That somehow, uh, we even go to the point somehow, sometimes to believe that somehow this is God's fault. Why would God ever put me in this horrible spot? I mean, I try to live for him. I, I try to love him. And why would he allow this to happen in my life? We, we see the defining moment before us, and we become filled with fear, and we start to say, uh, let's just go back to the way it used to be when things were better. You know, it's always interesting to me when we look back at what we call the good old days. We tend to remember the good things of those good old days, but there are a lot of things we wouldn't want to go back to in the good old days. And that's what we're saying here. You know, we, we tend to say, let's go back to the way it used to be. We think it was more comfortable back then. In fact, that's what the Israelites always thought, wasn't it? Well, why don't we just go back to Egypt? We were better off in Egypt than we are here in this wilderness. And yet God was doing a work in them to bring about a better blessing, a greater blessing than they could ever have imagined to bring them to the promised land. When we begin to say that, let's go back to the way it used to be when things were better and more comfortable, that begins to lead to rebellion and we begin to say, maybe we need a new leader. This leader isn't giving us what we want. 
uh, we, we begin to turn our backs even upon God. Because think about the moments of your life, the struggles you have with God. God is leading you, and he wants to lead you uh, to, the, to the greatest blessings, to the greatest freedom, to the greatest salvation you could ever experience in Jesus Christ, to the place where you will experience God in your heart, in your life. Chances are maybe this is a moment in your life that will define you. And all you can see are the barriers. And you may not even be seeing God. Many people believe that God has left them in those moments, like, like leaving them in a desert. Uh, they're, they're tired, they're miserable, they're, they're struggling, they grumble, they complain, they're miserable because uh, of everyone else. And, and they begin to say it's even God's fault. Let me say this to you this morning. And let me just say this lovingly. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's you and me and not God. That's the problem. God is leading you to a better place. But so often, we refuse to follow. And the reason we find ourselves in a desert place is because we aren't following God. We stay in the desert and we wonder why we're not in the promised land. Understand that the biggest barrier that any of us may ever face is us, ourselves. There's a cost to doing God's will. There's a price to be paid if you're going to do the will of God in your life. And so Jesus knows what it's like when you're in that kind of situation where you're struggling to do what God wants you to do uh, when it's not what you want to do. He knows what it's like to be torn between two desires. He knows what it's like to, to beg God to change his mind about something and to hear God say no. Listen, if it was always easy to do God's will, everybody would be doing God's will. Nobody would ever sin. The problem is it isn't easy. This is so important to hear this because it's in the private struggle that you face at that moment. When you're in your garden of Gethsemane, alone with God, that the battle's either won or lost. The battle for our salvation really began and was won. The, the winning of that battle began in the garden before the cross. If Jesus had said this, if Jesus had said in that garden or didn't even go to that garden and said, no thanks, not your will, but mine be done, none of us would be here today. Jesus made up his mind in the garden that he would rather go to hell for us than to go to heaven without us. And so the war was won finally at the cross, but the battle was began, began to be fought here in the garden. So if you'll make up your mind in, the pri in private what the no's of your life are, and what the yeses of your life are, then you can begin to face anything that happens to you in public. Let me warn you, though, that it's going to be a struggle. You can say, I'm going to do what God's Word says for me to do. I'm going to let God's Word guide me in every decision I make in my life. I'm going to tell you, you do that, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. Because the devil's going to throw everything he can at you, including the kitchen sink. And so the reason why 
the, the garden is even in the Bible here, is to teach us that even though the struggle to do what is right against the temptation to do what is wrong is real, and because of the example of Christ and the power of God, we can win the struggle if we're willing. But it takes learning this third principle. Here's what Jesus understood. Defining moments invite surrendering to the will of God. Defining moments invite surrendering to the will of God. So Jesus prays this prayer three times. He prays out loud for a purpose. He wanted his disciples to hear it. Many times Jesus would pray out loud because he knew other people would be listening. He knew the disciples, especially these three, would hear this prayer. And he knew that one day we would need to hear this prayer. He wanted us as believers today to hear it so that we would also pray it. Because when you find yourself in these situations where you're struggling with God's will, even to the point that you ask God to maybe change his will, to change his plan, to, to, to remove this from you, then, then that's when Jesus prayed this in verse 39. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now understand, there's nothing wrong with praying, Lord, if it's possible. Jesus himself prayed that. But here's the thing we need to realize. What if it's not possible in the will of God? What if it's not part of God's plan for your life? The prayer of all prayers is when you say what Jesus finally said when he said in verse 42, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then he prays it again in verse 44. And so I want you to notice how Jesus addressed his prayer. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane when we encounter the only place in all of Scripture that Jesus ever addressed God in prayer as my father that's what he says there in verse 42 my father if this cannot pass unless I drink it your will be done Mark tells us that he said Abba father the word Abba is the Aramaic equivalent of daddy or papa which is why this is so important Jesus's prayer was most importantly a prayer of surrender he was coming to God as a child comes to a father. He was in effect saying, Father, you always know what is best. You always do what is right. You never, ever make a mistake. So not what I will, but what you will. Let your will be done. Understand there's nothing wrong with a struggle. Struggling with the will of God is a natural thing for any of us. But here's what you need to remember. If the price of an action defies God's will, the cost will always be too high. Jesus could have said in that Garden of Gethsemane, nope, I'm not doing that. If he had, he would have avoided the cost of the crucifixion. 
He would have avoided the cost of separation because you remember on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, God the Father had turned his back on God the Son as he bore the sins of the world upon himself. But he could have avoided that separation. He could have avoided the cost of isolation. He could have avoided the cost of experiencing the full wrath of a holy God against the sins of this world. The price that he would have paid, though, would have been losing the entire human race to a devil who hates us and a hell that awaits us. The benefit of following God's will wasn't just for the approval of his heavenly father it was for a multitude of people that no person can number that would love him and praise him and glorify him and serve him forever remember this remember the key point the benefits of doing the will of God always outweigh the costs of not doing the will of God you may be in that garden of Gethsemane right now you may not be it's coming at some point in your life every single one of us face our own garden what you decide in that garden is going to define the course of the rest of your life you're gonna face times every single day that, that it's going to come down simply to this your answer to this question am I gonna do what he wants or am I gonna do what I want remember the costs and the benefits of doing the will of God always 100% of the time outweighs the cost of not doing the will of God the question for us is will you surrender to the will of God let's pray Heavenly Father there are some who are here this morning, maybe even watching online, who they maybe have been going through, maybe going through it right now, a defining moment in their life. Father, you're calling them this morning to just come to you and to say, Lord, if it's not your will to change this, if it's not your will to remove this from me, then, Lord, nevertheless, your will be done. Help me, Lord. Give me the power, the strength to endure one day at a time, one moment at a time. Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts that every single one of us who are here this morning and watching online, that there would be no greater desire in our hearts and our lives than the desire of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that was to do the will of the Father. Father, I pray this morning, especially if there are those who have never trusted by faith in Jesus as, your, as their Lord and their Savior, Lord, that is the greatest defining moment that they will ever have and what they are facing right now because you have brought them here for this defining moment to answer that question. Will I do what God wants me to do or will I do what I want to do? Will I trust by faith in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior? Or will I turn again and reject him and walk away, not knowing if I'll ever have another opportunity? Father, I pray that they would come this morning, that they would call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died on that cross for me. He was buried in the tomb and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart. 
come into my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life that I would surrender my will to your will. Father, I pray that if there are those who prayed something like that in their hearts, may they come forward this morning to publicly profess their faith in Christ. Lord, there are others of us who are here as believers, just like Jesus gave us that example in his garden of Gethsemane. He had a decision to make, and we have decisions to make in our lives. Whether it's a physical crisis we're facing, whether it's a family decision we're having to make, whether it's a career decision, or, or, or maybe our future in, in going to school, or, or maybe it's a marriage decision, or, or maybe it's some other uh, life decision. Lord, I, I just pray whatever it is, maybe you're calling someone to ministry. Maybe you're calling someone, Lord, to serve you in some particular area of ministry. Father, I pray that they would answer that call this morning to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And Father, I pray that you will stir their hearts to commit themselves afresh and anew to you. And Father, may your will be done this morning in this invitation. May you be glorified and honored. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing number 134, Jesus paid it all. Would you come for the mic? Stan's going to come and share our announcements uh, after he prays. Uh, then we'll give you that opportunity if you don't want to stay around for the special call meeting uh, to leave. And our ushers will come at that same time to make sure you get one of the ballots if you've not picked up that beforehand. Uh, so, and then we'll proceed with the meeting. First of all, Laura Miller and everybody, we'd like to thank everybody that came out yesterday and supported the egg hunt. We had a tremendous outreach for our church and our Lord. It went well. There's sandwiches still left up here in the fellowship hall. Me and Bobby will have first dibs, and the rest of you come on up and get you some. <laughs> Don't forget the special call business meeting right after this service. Miss Linda, we are certainly glad to see you back with us today. If you need some more excitement in your life, see me and Mr. Bobby. We'll come up with something, ma'am, okay? We're glad to see you back today. Keep Miss Leanne Wells in your prayers. She had knee surgery last week. As fate would have it, I'm Deacon of the Week today. And I'm going to tell you, like I told my students Monday afternoon and Tuesday, go home and hug your parents and your guardians. 
you know somebody you love and you care about, you can't hug them, send them a text message or a phone call. A lot of hurting still going on. With that, we need a few deacons to come up and help count the ballots, and with that, we will pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for this time we can come into your house, dear Lord. We're thankful for the country that we can do that in. We pray for healing in our community, in Nashville, in our state, in our nation. We praise you, dear Lord, for this week that is the week we celebrate that your love for us, that you gave your son Christ so we might have eternal life. Continue to heal those that are sick, Almighty God, and be with us as we vote. May your will be done. Amen. So at this time, uh, 